0: But there, there were no demand for these lands at that time. Well, Then why didn't they say in the treaty, you know, when the lands are needed for settlement, or when the Indians misbehave, or anything like that? that it'd be easy to say that. Because, they said at the pleasure of the president. Because they didn't. It's draft. hard to conceive of language that that puts something more in the in the utter discretionary control of of, uh, of one person than at the pleasure of the president.
1: Uh, the answer is that they didn't draft, the Chippewa didn't draft the treaty. Well, they signed it. They made it exits. Yes, Your Honor. But there were um, missionaries and, and
0: others there representing their interests, and I assume they have a, I mean, the, the notion that they don't have a concept in, in, in Chippewa, I don't know, culture for at the pleasure of someone, I, I frankly don't believe.
1: Well, Your Honor, there were a lot of people there with their own interests. The missionaries wrote, right after the treaty was signed, that they, did, they have no understanding of the duration of a man's pleasure. What, what they were told and what — They don't have a,
0: an understanding of the duration of a man's pleasure either. I mean, that's the whole point. It doesn't, it doesn't have any duration. It's, uh, it's whatever he wants. But they, they didn't have a notion of, of at
1: somebody's pleasure? I well, can't believe that. Well, what they were — the other thing they were told throughout this treaty council was that they would be treated justly by the President — um, and that, of course, was a reflection of the provisions in the Northwest Ordinance, uh, the trust responsibility um, as articulated by this Court. And what we think that means in this context is there are some reasons the President could, act, could not act. And that was the case in
2: 1850. Thank you, Mr. Sloan. Ms. McDonald, we'll hear from you.
3: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The Chippewa retained the privilege under the 1837 treaty to fish, hunt, and gather within the portion of of the Minnesota Territory ceded by that treaty. Although the 1850 order stated that the Chippewa were required to remove from the ceded territory and could no longer exercise their usufructory privilege there, that order never took effect.
2: Well, what do you mean the order never took effect? I mean, uh, if, if it says the privileges shall last as long as the, at the pleasure of the President, and the President says it's no longer my pleasure, I revoke it, uh, th- that would seem to be self-executing. I mean, what more need be done? If it, that it,
3: was all that was in the order, and if, if that was all that happened, we might agree with you, but that's not the case. It was part of an order that was designed for the sole purpose, as the District Court found, to remove the chip. Well, the, law. Well,
2: the, the District Court finding is, is a matter of law. I mean, so that, that — uh, we, we inter, in, interpret that uh, uh, as a matter of law. We're not buying by a district court finding.
3: Uh, certainly not, Your Honor. But um, there was no effort um, to enforce the use well, why, of recovery revocation should, separately why, from —
2: why, why should there have to be an, an effort? I mean, if, if one executive if, — if a treaty says until such and such an event, then the event occurs, why should something more have to occur?
3: Uh, because the President um, — under a a treaty such as this one that allows him to exercise his pleasure with respect to the existence of these rights, certainly has the ability to uh, think about, um, as he is carrying the policy into effect, whether, in fact, these rights ought to be revoked. And it was clear as time went on over the two-, three-, or four-year period after the order was issued that the President, the Executive, and Congress did not want the Well, the President Taylor died in
2: 1850 the same year he revoked the order. So he didn't continue to think about it for four years. (laughs) No,
3: certainly not, but his successors did.
2: Um, How about President Roosevelt's letter in March of 1938, recognizing that the thing had been revoked? How do you deal with that?
3: Well, as we explained in our briefs, Your Honor, that um, statement doesn't reflect any consideration of the context in which the order was uh, issued and and what occurred afterward. It particularly does not take into account the uh, 1854 and 1855 treaties, which uh, created a new state of affairs in uh, the Minnesota ceded territory that was entirely different from that contemplated by the 1850 order. Whereas the 1850 order had uh, required the Chippewa to remove, the 1854 and 1855 treaties created what were said to be permanent homes for them within that new territory. And it was clear because- To
4: me, you take a very cavalier approach to president roosevelt's order he said or letter he said we've thought about this we've looked at it these rights are revoked and he said oh well he doesn't he didn't know what happened in 1854 that's that's what your argument sounds like to me I, i'm amazed the government would take such a cavalier attitude about a letter from the president of the united states it's an, an amazing position
3: well certainly um your honor uh president roosevelt's statement is entitled to a certain amount of deference but um uh, he was um, not entirely informed about the situation. If he had been, we don't know what position he would have.
5: What, what was the part he wasn't informed about? My understanding is this: that the Taylor President Taylor's order says no hunting, no fishing. Go. All right, that's what it says. Mm-hmm. Now I take it the last word, go. Everyone in this case agrees. For, do they or don't they? Are we supposed to consider that go? as being illegal, of no effect, because the President of the United States did not have the authority to say, go. Are we supposed to take it as a given? Because all that people seem to be arguing is severability, not whether that basic idea is, is, is valid or not. So I'm supposed to take it that go was not valid, everybody concedes that or what.
3: Uh, we are not conceding that, Your Honor, but we don't well, have
5: to concede- reach Look, that point. You, you think the go was invalid. Is that right?
3: No, Your Honor. Um, our
6: position is that the
3: go never became effective because it was never carried out. Um, that's consistent
6: with that. Or that it was somehow revoked by implication. That was the gist of what I got out of the briefs. Uh, that the go part of the order, by implication, was abandoned or revoked. It was abandoned or revoked before I'm, I'm, it that's took a Argument, effect. not that it was illegal in the first place, for, um, for the president. To that's our position.
5: Enter. Your Honor. All right. In other words, the go is not legally valid. It doesn't. I don't know how else to say this.
3: It is of no effect because it was not carried out. Um, if you will look, and, at
5: – and therefore,
0: what was attached to it also became. Is it your position that at the pleasure of the president is this on again, off again thing, uh, depending on you know?
3: No, Your Honor. New if, president
0: coming, you can hunt and fish now.
3: If it's the going to make it difficult to, for the
0: people of, you know, uh, uh, Wisconsin to know what's going on here, but uh, is, that, is that the government's position, the President can turn it on and off?
3: No, Your off Honor. Off is, is off. If the removal had been fully carried out and the rights had been revoked and the Chippewa were told that they could not go back there to hunt and fish, we would say that would be final. Okay. It would take an act of Congress to reinstate So
0: the then it must be the government's position that if you have — uh, what you might call an irrevocable provision, no more hunting and fishing. Once he says it, can't be changed. And you attach that irrevocable provision to a revocable one, namely go. The President can change his mind about going. Ah, I changed my mind, don't go. When you attach an irrevocable one to a revocable one, the irrevocable one becomes revocable.
3: Yes, in the context of what was going on here, which was uh, an order that was solely designed for the purpose of removing the Chippewa, not for um, revoking their usufructuary rights. while they I, I don't see place. how that
0: follows. It seems to me irrevocable is irrevocable. If you've done it, you've done it. Uh, you can't pull it back. I don't see how merely attaching it to a revocable one. I can understand how attaching it to an invalid one might render it invalid because it's non-severable. But the government's taking the very strange position that the the order to go is not invalid and therefore doesn't invalidate the revocable portion.
3: It would be but, a... V- even irrevocable,
0: but rather renders the irrevocable portion revocable. I, I can't understand.
3: It would be an even stranger position, Your Honor, if we were to say that... The president had no ability to change his mind, that once he decided that removal, the whole purpose of the order was not to be carried out, he couldn't say that the Chippewa can't. But, But
0: I thought you've conceded that he can't change his mind. I thought you've conceded that once the president says no more hunting and fishing, he can't come back a month later and say, you know, that was a really bad idea. Okay, you can hunt and fish again. I thought you conceded that.
3: No, we didn't concede that. Um, so it, I, is, it,
0: it can be changed. It is off again, on again, whatever the President w- wants to do.
3: No, if removal, which was the whole purpose of this order, had in fact been carried out, Le- leave then removal at aside. that point these rights could be Leave removal
0: aside. It's just an order. Indians can't hunt and fish. Is it your position that the President can change my Oh, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have said that. You can hunt and fish. Can the President do that?
3: Uh, if that was all there was to this order, Perhaps so, perhaps not. But that was not all that was. No, no. I mean, yes or
0: no. Do you have a yes or no? Uh,
3: If it's part of an order that was never enforced, that the Chippewa were not even told about, are you then then
4: saying that the reason this seems to be an on again, off again kind of regime boils down to the fact that, at least in the circumstances of this treaty? in order for the President, in effect, to exercise his pleasure to end the rights, he had to do it in an effective way, such that simply signing a piece of paper saying, stop, is not enough. Are you saying that he had to communicate it and enforce it, and that that enforcement would, in effect, be the communication to the people involved that he did not do that, and he did not do that for the simple reason that he could not enforce the other order either. Is that what it boils down to, that he never really exercised his pleasure because he never carried it through to the point of making it clear?
7: Yes, Your Honor. Okay. And you are not making the argument Gee, I didn't that, that the legal yes. argument that I thought the District Court bought in, in the Eighth mm-hmm. Circuit, too, maybe I'm wrong about that, that the President could not, not that he did not, here you're telling us he did not, The President could not order the removal because of an 1830 statute that says the Indians have to consent to a removal. That was an argument that I thought was accepted by the lower courts, but you are not making that argument.
3: We're not making that argument now. We did join in that argument below.
7: But
0: it is the the position of the United States, of the Department of Justice, as I understand it, that the executive order of a President is not effective ex opere operando, as we say, by its own force, but rather somehow must be uh, enforced before an executive order is effective. Is, is that the position of the Justice Department?
3: It would depend on the particular character I of the executive. S- some court. executive
0: orders are are immediately effective when they are promulgated, but others are only effective when they are when they are sought to be enforced. Is that? Do we certainly know how to distinguish the one from the other?
3: It's certainly in the context of this order that had one purpose. I have never heard this theory
0: before. I have no,
4: never heard Ms. this. Ms. McDowell, isn't you I — thought, I thought your point was that this order's effect, whether it has effect or doesn't, is a question of the treaty, not general executive order law. Is, is that your position? And therefore, at least under a treaty like this, in which whatever effect the order has is a creature of the treaty, not of general law, uh, the the President had to be effective in what he did. Is is that — I'm I'm putting words in your mouth, but I want you to tell me if they're not your words.
6: (laughs) Yes, it it is the particular context of this treaty. Well, now, wait a minute, because the treaty says in Article Five, the 1837 treaty, the privilege of hunting, fishing, and gathering the wild rice upon the lands ceded is guaranteed to the Indians during the pleasure of the President of the United States. Now, that's all it says. Now, can the President revoke that, enter an executive order saying, it is no longer my pleasure that you shall hunt and fish and gather wild rice under the terms of the treaty? Yes. Is there anything confusing about that? No. The President could do that. That's correct. But you say because it was done together with a removal order, the removal part of which was not enforced, that he could not do it. Is that it?
3: We're not saying that he could not do it. We're saying that he did not do it in the context of this case, that the uh, revocation of rights did not become effective because the removal did not become effective and because the entire policy was superseded and contradicted in
6: 1854 Is it not possible that a president would think that uh, the revocation should go forward so that uh, territorial or state government could regulate hunting and fishing? There's absolutely no evidence of that in the record, Your Honor. But that is certainly possible, that a president would think, yes, states or territories, as the case may be, should regulate hunting and fishing for all.
3: That's possible, although that would be a curious conclusion because in the 1854 treaty, new usufructuary rights were recognized for the Indians who were living in uh, the 1854 ceded territory, the territory that was newly ceded by that treaty. It would seem curious that uh, the president and the administration wanted to give Indians those rights in that part of Minnesota, but not to allow them to continue to exercise those rights in the remainder of Minnesota that um, um, had originally been uh, part of the 1837 ceded
7: territory. There's one respect that your brief seems to um, uh, portray something that the argument brought out isn't. That is, you said, "Well, the president wanted to do indirectly what he couldn't do directly." I thought that was one argument that, and it would be perverse to say they can stay here but they're going to starve to death. We've heard now; for everybody seems to agree that they wouldn't be prohibited from engaging in any of these activities. They just have to do them like everyone else. So why did you, in the, in the brief twice I noticed, you said the, that would be taking away their sustenance? But that's wrong, isn't it?
3: Um, we don't think that it's at all clear that the Indians would have had, uh, as one of the justices referred to, uh, a white man's privilege to hunt and fish if the treaty right were indeed effectively revoked. The Indians were not citizens of the State's territories of the United States at the time.
7: Uh, you there was didn't no say anything about it not being clear. You said that the Chippewa could not have survived. Uh, you, you gave the, that portrayal yes. that, that the effect of this meant that they would stop to death. Yes. They could stay. And so one could say, that gee, that would be an irrational thing for a president to do, to say you can stay but stop to death. It wouldn't be so irrational for him to say you can stay subject to the rules that govern everyone else.
3: But he didn't say that, and there's no indication uh, that the Chippewa would have been recognized as having the rights of citizens. Do you have any
0: indication that non-citizens anywhere were not allowed to hunt and fish?
3: Well, there is indication that In some states,
0: non-citizens were allowed to vote. In
3: 1858, when Minnesota began — became a state, it enacted hunting and fishing regulations that, among other things, tried to prevent Indians from um, leaving the reservations to hunt and fish without a passport.
2: Thank you, Ms. McDowell. Uh, The case is submitted.